Hello and welcome to Norwich City Tactics Podcast. I'm Sam and I'm joined by James as we discuss Norwich's 1-1 draw with Coventry City. David Wagner made four changes after City's defeat to Swansea last Wednesday, with McCallum, Plachetta, Gibbs and Adam Eder coming into the side. James, what were your thoughts around this rotation? So there were, there were some bits to like. I think based on their performances this season, you have to say that Eder deserves to start over Huang. Plachetta for Springett. I thought Springett was decent against Swansea. Probably his, his best game of the season. Generally, it's sort of like the horses for courses with those wingers in there, I think, until we get back the likes of Sykes. Gibbs in the advanced role. That's something that we've spoken about a lot. I think that um, we both see him as like a deep-line midfielder who has weaknesses off the ball, and therefore Wagner has moved him forward because he doesn't want him to get like exposed and therefore sees that sort of number 10 role as his best position. But um, I actually think that's a sort of detriment to his game. He doesn't look as comfortable playing higher up the pitch. Yeah, the last change, McCallum Fionulis. For me, that's one that would only make sense if there's an injury or fitness issue because Fionulis has been so good this season and so consistent as well that I wouldn't really see any reason to drop him for this game, especially heading into an international break where we're not going to play again for two weeks. Yeah, and Wagner did confirm after the game that all those changes were down to fresh legs. There were no injuries to um, the players that got replaced. So yeah, really big issue, I think, you know, just coming out the side because he's so good in tight spaces. He's technically really sound and he's just so good at progressing the ball. We'll get into his performance a little bit later when he came on for Sam McCallum in the second half. But for me, that's an area where there's a huge drop off. Yeah, I agree with you on the Gibbs situation and because I think when he plays in that second striker role, he does struggle to get on the ball a little bit. I think he's probably better receiving when he comes nearer the defence. And I think with that role, you're a bit further up the pitch, which means that you're kind of being blocked off by the opposition. So you've got to be very good in finding space or um, just finding ways to get on the ball, which I think Gibbs struggles with. Part of the reason that I think Wagner plays him there is because he is quite good at counter-pressing or like his speed over five to ten yards is pretty good. So when he's trying to win the ball back or when the opposition have the ball, I think that's the idea playing him in that role in that but what he can do is close down the opposition pretty quickly. I don't think it's his best position. And also from when we've seen him there over the course of this season, I don't think there's been a standout performance. Yeah. Also, I think if he's there for his sort of pressing, counter-pressing ability, I'm not sure this is necessarily the right game for him. One where uh, we seeded quite a lot of territory and sat back in that sort of 4-4-2 block. It felt like a game where if we were going to do that, we needed forwards who could sort of help us retain the ball higher up the pitch. And Gibbs not being that strong in duels, he's not really someone to be able to play who's back to goal at all. I think you can see it in how we struggle to sort of retain the ball heart of the pitch. The big shock for me, I think, was Adam Forshaw not playing. So against Swansea, I think he played... Did he play the full 90 against Swansea? Um, he was subbed off midway through the second half. And then that's when it started to fall apart. Because David Wagner, in the press conference before this game, talked up the fact that Forshaw's on his way to play the full 90, which felt like, to me, when it was an indicator that he was going to start this game. And again, the fact that he was dropped was a surprise and probably a bigger shock was that he didn't come on at all. But 
we'll get into that a little bit later uh, in the podcast. So starting off with the first 30 minutes, I did feel like Norwich had a good uh, start. Looked very good off the ball. Some promising individual performances, especially in that first 15 minutes. Uh, McLean was absolutely excellent on and off the ball. Some of his passes in his own half were very smart, very intelligent. I also felt he was really good at disrupting play. He was really good at covering space and also the way that he demanded the ball. There were a couple of really nice moments where he came out of the cover shadow of either Haji Wright or Ellis Sims, the two commentary strikers. So basically... He couldn't receive the ball to feet. So what he did is he just just got around their block and managed to receive the ball off Gibson. And that's how Norwich were able to progress. We've seen him do this action quite a lot in recent games over the course of the season. Yeah, McLean, it definitely felt like he was key in us trying to beat that press early in the game. So Coventry are pressed with their front two and then have Ayari behind to sort of push up and almost man-mark Sarah when our centre-backs had the ball. So... In that move you talked about there, the two Coventry strikers actually push up and press on our centre-backs and um, Ayari is staying with Sarah and McLean recognises this and runs off into the space. Ayari stays with Sarah, so McLean is in the free man. Several times in the first 15 minutes where McLean was that free man when we created that sort of 3v4 in the middle there and the two Coventry deep midfielders wouldn't get up and support because our attack midfielders would move into central areas and just pin them back. I thought that was our most successful way of breaking the press early on. In terms of how they tried to attack us, Coventry lined up in a sort of 3-4-1-2. We were sat in our 4-4-2 block, and Coventry were quite often trying to use sort of wide rotations to try and create a spare man in those wide areas, which they did quite well in the 11th minute. It's a third-man run from the wide centre-back, Kitching. He breaks into that channel between Duffy and Stacey and gets to really cut that position, but uh, the quality's not good enough and it's cleared. In this same minute, it's um, Ayari drifting into the wide area, gets in behind Stacey, runs off McLean, and he knocks the ball in past McLean, but goes down and the chance is wasted. I felt like that was a specific plan from them to sort of have those wide centre-backs get up, support, the wing-backs and Ayari would drift out wide too and they'd try and use those rotations to try and create that spare man. Uh, same on the other side. They're trying to get Sakamoto isolated against McCallum so he could go 1v1. Obviously, Sakamoto looked like quite a good dribbler and that was probably their main methods of attack beyond countering and going direct into those two strikers. I still think Norris defended those attacking movements pretty well though. Uh, again, going back to Kenny McLean, his defensive positioning... Some of those crosses were really good. I think it happened about four or five times over the game that he was in like the optimum position to cut out a cross. So yeah, it really showed his good defensive screening there. Again, an element of his game that he struggles with, I'd say on the whole. But in particular in this game, um, there were some really nice moments from him. Yeah, I think at times you could see that uh, maybe people had run off him. But yeah, there are also lots of really good moments. And I mean, when you're... We were under a fair amount of pressure in this game with the way we sort of seeded the territory and sat back. And you expect that uh, someone like McLean, who isn't always the best at doing that, you'd expect maybe one or two. But generally, as you said, I thought he did pretty well. He also did pretty well to initiate a move, which was kind of Norwich's first chance, really. I think Adam Eder had had a shot in the third minute, uh, which he got on target. That was one of two shots on target that Norwich had the whole game, which showed you how um, they didn't really penetrate Coventry's box very much. But this move in the 12th minute, uh, in the 12th minute, was started by McLean. He plays a really nice pass in between two Coventry players to McCallum. 
Uh, McCann kind of drifting inside a little bit. He brings the ball forward and plays a really nice one-two with Liam Gibbs. The weight on the first-time pass from Gibbs is really good. It's right into McCallum's path. And uh, he then runs into the box and plays actually a pretty decent ground cross around the commentary back line. And Eder's just so close to tapping that in. I think the movement from Eder's really good. He's able to get away from the marker and hit the spot exactly where he thinks the ball's going to go. And yeah, and I mean, on another day, I do think that's how Norwich take the lead. It's perhaps a bit too pacey, the cross from McCallum, but hard to really criticise like either player for that moment because, yeah, it was just a really well choreographed move between three or four Norwich players. And a bit of a shame we didn't see more of that over the course of the first half. Yeah, it's just classic striker movement from Eda. The way he's pointing in like he's sort of he's sort of alongside McFadden, like he's gonna move in front of him. And then as he sees the crossing opportunity develop, he uses his burst to just go down at the blind side of McFadden and arrives there completely free. And uh I'd say he's quite unlucky that uh doesn't he doesn't get on the end of it because it's a really good piece of movement. I think as the rest of this period went on, the zero to thirty minutes, Norwich did look pretty solid. Duffy and Gibson did pretty well 1v1 versus Wright and Sims, the two strikers that we've mentioned. In terms of winning aerial duels, there are a couple of good tackles in there from, from both players. And actually, when crosses did come into the box, Norwich did defend them pretty well. There are a couple of headers from Duffy, which got really good distance on them. Perhaps something that not all fans look for in terms of defending, but actually some of these crosses that came in, Duffy's able to get up, uh, win the header, and then get it towards about like 30 yards out, which is is pretty impressive and shows the power that he's got in the air. I thought watching it back, both centre-backs generally defending the box really well. Um, obviously, we'll come on to the Coventry's goal later. In terms of the whole 90 minutes, they barely put a foot wrong on that front, I think. And they were under a significant amount of pressure. I don't know how many crosses exactly Coventry put in, but it does feel like it was a lot. At times in the first half, we saw sort of our weakness defending in transition moments where their strikers would get on the ball in quite a lot of space. Duffy and Gibson generally did pretty well to win these duels. If I was a Coventry fan, I'd be disappointed with how uh, Wright and Sims did in these moments. I feel like... Through a mixture of technical errors and bad decisions, they did squander some decent positions where our midfielders had gone in to try and counter-press immediately after we lost the ball and had the pass sort of played through them. They just didn't take advantage at all. Yeah, I think probably the one element that I would criticise Duffy and Gibson for, especially in the first half, so maybe moving to just over the 30-minute mark now, was how direct they went with their passing. There would often be times where they weren't being pressed or they'd taken three or four touches. And Duffy especially would try a switch of play. And what it was was that both players were aiming for the fullback. So Duffy coming forward on his right foot would try and hit McCallum on the other side. And Gibson coming in on his left foot would try and find Stacey. The problem was is that because Norwich were basically defending against um, a back five, when Coventry's wing-backs would stay wide. It meant that it was really difficult to complete these passes. With De Silva, who was the left wing-back for Coventry, marking Stacey, and Sakamoto, who was the right wing-back for Coventry, marking uh, McCallum on the other side. It meant that because they were so tight to them, Duffy and Gibson would have to try and hit those passes in behind. And those are incredibly difficult to do because Coventry weren't really offering a lot of space um, in those channels. So yeah, the frustrating thing was that even though Duffy and Gibson were defending well, 
I felt some of their output in terms of their possession was was pretty disappointing. And it really cost Norwich in the first half because apart from that move that we talked about in the 12th minute, I don't think it was very good combination play. Part of that was down to, yeah, um, long passes from Duffy and Gibson. Yeah, I completely agree. I think with the way McLean's dropping into the middle of them two and sort of splitting them and the way Coventry were pressing with two, they were often in a lot of space and a lot of time on the ball. And they could have maybe been a bit more composure to try and draw that press onto them to then create that space to then go into the midfield rather than have to be forced into hitting those long balls because Coventry were too compact. Also, those are situations where you have a 3v2 there where you want to see your outside defenders driving with the ball because then they have that space to drive into and then that's how you commit someone to then go and press them and that will open up the space to then go into midfield. We didn't really have that player to retain and pass the ball higher up the pitch. We really sort of lacked that profile in our front four. I think Plachetta in particular, the way... Maglev was using him, was he was getting into sort of drifting field and coming short of the ball. And as we've spoken about before, that's not his game. If anything, him and Callum are quite similar. They both like to get up and down and they're both pretty good at crossing and generally playing straight lines and all about the off-the-ball running. So I felt like putting those two on the same side was limiting us there. We really struggled whenever we got onto that next phase of possession because generally the build-up centrally wasn't too bad. We, yeah, we, we didn't have anything higher up the pitch. And I think the other thing about the first half was when we've had Yanulis in the team, he can progress the ball so well. And this is something that McCallum really struggles with. Most of the season, or with Norwich's best games this season, that left-hand side has been Yanulis and Rowe. Two players who are really, really good in tight spaces, with really good close control. They can play pretty difficult passes. And obviously, we know about Jonathan Rowe's dribbling ability. So that's another way that he can beat a man. So yeah, it was a bit of a shame to see that left-hand side pretty limited in possession. I mean, the way it worked out, we barely got that front four on the ball at all. And when we did get them on the ball, there wasn't that huge amount of quality there to create that amount of chances that you'd want to see. I felt like it wasn't helped by the way our defensive shape doubled up our full-back and winger on their wing-back. I felt like our wingers were sort of pinned back quite a lot, which sort of limited our ability to break. They're often quite deep for large periods of the game. I mean, to bring out some stats, Ida touched the ball 11 times in the entire game. Then Plachetta, Gibbs, Rowe each touched the ball roughly 20 times. You'd really want to see them involved more. Absolutely. Um, so I guess we can now talk about uh, commentary's best chance of the first half, which came around 35 minutes. It was still nil-nil at the time. Uh, and it actually came from another short corner. I think this is a real weakness of Norwich's and I still can't believe that that hasn't really been dealt with. The fact that every single time uh, a short corner is created, so another player receiving the ball short and then creating an overload on that side, uh, that's been pretty frequent throughout the season, even when Norwich are winning games. And yet again, we concede a pretty good chance to that because there's a 2v1 on that side. The cross comes in. Either what happens is Duffy gets there to block a shot from Sims or the ball just kind of comes off Duffy and then Gunn's able to pick it up. That chance on like FB Ref or Stats websites has it as about a 0.4, uh, which is a pretty high XG chance. So perhaps they've looked at it and said that Sims has got a shot off there, which in any case is a really, really good block from Duffy. He perhaps reads it just at the last minute and just gets ahead of Sims to block the ball. It did feel at that point the game was 
perhaps turning a little bit. And yeah, that chance did kind of signal that Coventry were getting on top. But it wasn't that long after that Jonathan Rowe got the goal. So James, I don't know if you wanted to take us through that. Yeah, so um, Duffy plays into Rowe. Rowe uh, does a nice step over and uh, drives past his marker into some space and then plays a pass to Gibbs, which is maybe slightly overhit, but Gibbs does really well to bring it under control and also control it so the ball's like still out in front of him and it keeps the momentum of the attack. Gibbs then holds the ball up and feeds Stacey with a pass inside the wing back. And um, yeah, Stacey puts in the first cross, which is then cleared. Gibbs, we mentioned his counter-pressing earlier. He's really quick to close down the Coventry player, win the ball back and drive it to the box and lays off a nice back heel for Stacey who can then square it to row. Yeah, so it's a bit of a toe poke, but to me it was like a nice improvised finish. Because he toe pokes it and gets the shot off quickly, he almost takes Wilson by surprise. So he probably should save the shot, but because he takes it quickly, uh, it manages to sneak under his, his hand and it's 1-0 Norwich. Yeah, you've mentioned a couple of really nice technical actions in there. The Gibbs control is really good. It's with his left foot. The ball's coming from behind him. Uh, so the fact that he can take that on the run shows how accomplished that first touch was. Uh, the control from Rowe just for the goal is good because Stacey's pass isn't the easiest. And I like the way that Rowe just sort of bounces down and is able to get back up really quickly uh, and toe-voke it in. So um, even though perhaps it wasn't massively deserved for Norwich, they do find themselves 1-0 up going into the break. Yeah, that's what we've seen this season, is that we do have players on our team who can score a goal, even when we're not playing that well as a team. Uh, Rowe has been one who's really stood up at times like that. It's no surprise to see him on the score sheet again, even in the game in which we created basically nothing. So, moving into the second half, uh, there were no changes from either side. And I do think Norwich did struggle during this period, so from around 45 minutes to 60 there was the other Adam Eda chance or the other opportunity that Eda had to get on a Sam McCallum cross. That was in the 49th minute. Again, a little bit similar to the one in the first half. Maybe McCallum puts a bit too much on the cross. I also think the problem with this is Coventry's defensive line is pretty good because even if Eda gets the ball, then I think he's going to be offside. Perhaps you would have liked to see Eda be a bit more proactive and try to be a little bit forward to get a touch on the ball. But I think even if he scores, that goal will be ruled out because it's a pretty clear uh, offside. But a bit of a shame. Unfortunately, even though Norwich had that that first kind of opportunity, that didn't continue over the course of this period because they really struggled in possession. Again, a lot of direct balls, which would mean that Coventry win the ball back. And it did feel like Norwich were shooting themselves in the foot a little bit. They were being too imprecise with their passing. And Norwich start to get a bit deeper. Yeah, I think if Wagner wanted to be proactive, I think this is maybe a period we could have maybe brought in for sure. Just someone to calm us down. Because I felt like if you just take the sting out of the game, there's maybe a chance to tire out Coventry a bit, get the crowd a bit nervous. And then you can maybe avoid them having such a late surge after. I felt we played into their hands by having no composure ourselves. We gave them belief that they could go back into the game. We didn't take control. Actually, to be fair, I think when Springit and Yunulis came on in the 63rd minute, I think that did help to calm the game down a little bit. I actually think this was a pretty good substitution from Wagner because almost immediately with Yunulis, who again is much more composed and much more good in his decision-making than McCallum in possession in terms of his passing, I think Norwich did look a lot more settled. Uh, and they did have a period of roughly 10 minutes 
where I think they were the better side. They did keep the ball a little bit better. They stretched the play a little bit as well. So it meant that when Coventry were trying to press them, there were slightly bigger spaces that Norwich could find players in. I think McCallum had just given the ball away on the 61st minute and that had signalled the end of his game. Uh, I don't think Wagner would have wanted to use Unulis this early, but because McCallum by this point was really struggling in terms of his ball retention, uh, then he got um, he got brought off. I also think as well it was around this point that Sakamoto might have got round him as well. So there was perhaps a bit of worry or concern that McCallum was going to be dribbled past again and uh, Norwich would concede a chance. But in general, they were just getting a lot more deep at this point. Yeah, I like bringing Lewis on. Obviously, we'd have preferred it if he started. But getting on early definitely did have that sort of calming effect and increased our ability to keep the ball. Obviously, I said earlier that Springer had his best game of the season against Swansea. And uh, yeah, didn't mind seeing him come on for Pachetta, who I thought had another game where he sort of flattered to see. He um, didn't really offer what we needed in possession when he was asked to move in field. One thing that I didn't really agree with, though, was um, I thought Rowe and Springett maybe should have swapped sides because we were still getting most of our ball progression down that left. And Springett, sometimes he looks a bit awkward playing at those angles on the left, especially when he has to like move more centrally. If we'd got Rowe over that side, got him on the ball a bit more, we could have maybe got up the pitch a bit more and maybe created something. Yeah, Springett played on the right on Wednesday and um, I think he looked more comfortable playing at those angles on the right and sort of cutting in on his, on his left foot. Yeah, as we've mentioned before, I think the fact that Rowe can go both ways in terms of he can, he can go on his left foot or he can go on his right foot and dribble at players, it just makes it so much more difficult for him to be tackled by the opposition. One of the things that alarmed me for most of the game was how weak we looked on that left side, as we've already covered, and, and hopefully Rowe returns to that position in future games. I do think with Rowe on the right-hand side, uh, where he remained, Norwich did create their best chance in the 70th minute uh, in the second half. I think that was because they'd had 10 minutes of really good settled possession, helped by Yanoulis and Springer. It was a Liam Gibbs shot in the end, which got blocked. But what happened is, because Norwich had sucked all the Coventry players over to their left-hand side, it meant that Rowe was free in the centre circle, so he was able to progress the ball drive at the Coventry defence. There were no Coventry holding midfielders or their three who were playing in there just couldn't get back from the left-hand side to cover. He'd passed to Gibbs in a really good area and it's a really good block from the Coventry centre-back. But David Wagner referenced that chance in the press conference after and he said that was the opportunity to kill the game because even if Norwich do go 2-0 up, even though they had ceded a lot of territory and possession. Uh, I just couldn't see Coventry coming back at that point because they'd been fairly sloppy in terms of their passing and in terms of their control in possession. Yeah, I really like what Rowe did here because um, one thing that good dribblers, ball carriers do is they draw players into them. And here, it looks like as he's bearing down on the edge of the box, Gibbs doesn't really have much space. But then as he sort of commits the defenders towards him, it just opens up. And he times the pass perfectly. I didn't really see the, the right angle to tell if Gibbs should have done better with the finish. Um, obviously, the defender slid and blocked it. But I couldn't see if there was maybe the chance to uh, aim at the other side of the goal. Yeah, and it wasn't uh, that long after that John from Rowe comes off. And um, Adam Eder as well, who, as we'd said, was a little bit isolated this whole game. But uh, Hwang and Fashnacht, uh come on 
And it's at this point that I think Norwich start to regress a little bit. They've already started to get a lot deeper. I mean, they were pretty deep the whole game, to be honest. They were in a they were in a low block. Uh, but it felt at this point there started to be a lot of penalty box defending. And yeah, they just looked like they were trying to take the 1-0. It just felt a little bit too early to drop back that intensely. I also think Sarah really struggled during this point. I think this was one of his worst periods this season because there was a lot of passes that he gave away. And he did seem to panic a little bit. He often would try a really difficult pass. There was one in the 77th minute where he's pl- trying to play like this through ball between two players. And it's also a reverse pass. Something that you can try in the opposition's half around their box. But he tried it on the edge of his own box. And it just felt really naive and quite representative of what went wrong for him over the sort of 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah, it was all over the team, but I was surprised to see him like so badly affected by the complete lack of composure. Definitely the worst 15 minutes he's had this season um, because he's generally been really good. On the sub, I mean, obviously Eder and Rowe are players that quite often get taken off early in games and Lagner will cite their lack of fitness to complete 90 minutes, etc. But I think that they... If we're then planning to sort of drop a little bit deeper, I think they're two really good outlets to then get up the pitch. Either we know he can he can hold off defenders, lay the ball back and uh, bring arriving midfielders into play. That's something he's good at. Huang, I haven't really seen enough of that from him yet. I don't think he's as mobile as either. That's in possession and out of possession as well in his defensive work. Same with Fastnacht. He's not, he's not the most dynamic winger. He's not someone who's going to beat a man and drive us like 30, 40 yards up the pitch. So yeah, I think those subs definitely contributed to us getting sort of trapped in our own half. It looked like a deliberate tactic to sit back a bit more, but at the same time, the players didn't look like they were necessarily prepared for it because you see like Sarah, he was still trying to play in his sort of expansive style on the edge of his own box and not really playing with any composure. And you'd think if the plan was to then sit in, defend for the rest of the game, manage it, see it out, that players would know that is not the time to take those kind of risks. I was really disappointed with the game management in general. It's easy to say on the rewatch when you know the goal's coming, but it really did look like a goal was coming from a long way off. So yeah, as you say, the game management really started to lack around this point. And it was Wagner who decided to make his final substitution, which was bring in Bar for Gibbs. Uh, I think maybe even Gibbs could have been taken off a little bit earlier. He did look pretty exhausted. He covered quite a lot of ground during the game, even though he didn't get a huge amount of touches. But I was really perplexed, and I think other fans were as well, why Adam Forshaw wasn't used at this point. And I mean, for most of the game, we were lacking his composure. And yeah, his level-headedness in front of that defence in terms of possession, in terms of screening the back four. But it felt like Wagner made a decision at this point that he went for a third centre-back. And I wonder even if maybe Sarah could have been moved a little bit further up uh, in Gibbs' position and Forshaw just would come in and slot next to McLean like he did against Swansea uh, when he started. But it did feel that this was ultra-conservative from Wagner. And yeah, again, as we mentioned at the beginning of the pod, the fact he had talked up Forshaw playing 90 minutes and then this was a conscious decision not to use him at all, it did feel very self-inflicted um, in the run-up to the goal. Yeah, and it also um, made it much harder for us to stop their progression as well because obviously we usually press with a front two and then you've taken one out to put them at the back 
And now uh, you've got Huang basically on his own trying to close down three centre-backs. And uh, it felt like we'd lost any ambition of trying to get up the pitch and we're just banking on us being able to defend the box for the remaining three minutes plus stoppage time, which um, obviously in hindsight didn't work out. But you have to you have to be super confident that you're not going to make a mistake to do that. I never really get that feeling of confidence in us to be able to just hold out and defend the box, even for small amounts of time. So, yeah, I was pretty disappointed to see that sub. So, yeah, we can break down Ben Gibson's own goal. It was a cross in from Van Ewick, who had come on and looked pretty dangerous. He just got the better of spring it a little bit. It's always quite hard to block across, but maybe spring it's defensive position could have been a little bit deeper or maybe he could have covered the um, the space a little bit more to block that cross. But I don't even think it's that difficult a ball to defend. Um, there's not a huge amount of pace on the ball that Van Ewick delivers. And I'm not quite sure what happens with Gibson's heading technique. It looks like it comes off more of Toffee's head rather than his forehead. So he's clearly trying to put the ball behind for a corner. But it just, yeah, comes off the wrong part and, um, and goes straight in and Gunn's got no chance. But it's such a shame because he was pretty consistent all the way throughout the game. Yeah, so him and Duffy between them had made 10 blocks. Gibson had made four, Duffy six. They'd won numerous headers. Uh, and it did feel like a bit of an isolated incident because mostly during the game, their penalty box defending was really, really good. Just that one error has pretty much cost Gibson having um, a pretty immaculate performance off the ball and defensively. Yeah, so you mentioned spring it. I think um, it's actually the wide centre-back getting up down the flank. Spring it is actually drawn out of position because I think he, it looks like he thinks the pass is going into Thomas. But instead, it's driven into the feet of Van Ewick. And spring it has to almost turn and recover back to then get alongside him. And then Van, Van Ewick uses his acceleration to get away from him. Maybe a, a moment of inexperience and uh, he's a little bit out of position. But it's hard to blame him because Van Ewick only gets half a yards, but the crossing. It's a freak moment and definitely a mistake from Gibson. But when you've been under pressure for pretty much the whole game because we haven't done enough to progress the ball and have sustained attacks in their half, something like that can always happen. Absolutely. And Norwich seemed to cave from there because Coventry created two very good chances uh, from that moment. I think it was within a couple of moments where Norwich had a free kick in Coventry's half and uh, it gets claimed by Wilson, who does a really nice piece of distribution up the pitch. It's really accurate. I think it causes uh, Sarah a lot of problems who's there trying to defend it. But basically Coventry win the ball back really close to Norwich's area and then Van Ewick takes it past McLean and Yanoulis. Um Here's another shot on goal and the ball's actually going wide, but Duffy's got back to try and block the shot. Um, and it just collides off gun. But on another day, that could have been an own goal, which would have been even more disastrous. Yeah, it just we were speaking so much about the game management, but to almost concede a goal, it's almost within a minute of conceding the equaliser. And straight away, we commit loads of men forward for the free kick. It's hit straight into the keeper's arms. It's literally only Sarah back as uh, Wilson hits it forward. I think the game management was so poor that we've gone from a point where we were 1-0 up the 89th minute or the 88th minute to then at the end saying that we were extremely lucky to even get a point. And that brings us on to the final chance for Coventry, which were created through, I think it was Latifodier, 
making a run into the box and he's Sarah's man and Sarah had already failed to pick him up on another run which has happened a little bit earlier probably due to fatigue and can't get it back to block the cross and Coventry somehow keep the ball in through Sims actually and then Godden who's another striker who's come on gets the ball before Duffy uh, and then Sakamoto just gets behind Fashionak to try and head the ball it's actually a block by Bath on the line but again, at this point, it just felt like Norwich were were going to completely cave and ended up losing the game. Yeah, it was almost unbelievable how we almost conceded three or four goals in the last like two minutes plus stoppage time alone. Yeah, so Norwich come out of the game with, with a 1-1 draw. It felt pretty negative in the stadium and looking on social media, the general feeling around was, was pretty negative as well. It was interesting to hear Wagner's comments post-match because he was fairly upbeat and he felt that he'd executed his plan pretty well. He said that he had the idea of defending in a low block and then letting Coventry have possession. And the idea was that Norwich would play on the counter. I don't think Norwich did do that very well, particularly that final part of, I didn't really see any counter-attacks from them um, that were well choreographed or in terms of players getting into space. And yeah, testing the fact that Coventry had pushed players forward to, to create a chance. I also think as well, he said there was a spell of 25 minutes where Norwich looked comfortable, which I don't really think that was the case. There were periods where Coventry did have a lot of the ball and not do a lot with it, but then neither did Norwich, so it was a bit of a stalemate. I think a lot of the shots that Norwich did concede, they conceded 21 in the end. A lot of them were either blocked or off target, or they were quite low value extra shots, which meant they were 25, 30 yards out, so probably aren't going to trouble Angus Gunn. But overall, it did feel like they were there for a point. It's reminiscent for me of a game they played last season against Stoke in March, where it was another game just before the international break. And when we played Stoke, we were a lot more direct. We were a lot more reactive. And um, it ended up being a nil-nil draw. But it did just feel like that Wagner had pretty much um, got rid of his like initial identity of trying to create through possession and just turn up at Stoke to to get a point and then have a two-week break so he could perhaps get players back from injury and then coach them on a few more uh, different ideas. But yeah, it felt very similar to this game in which he'd, he deliberately wanted Norwich to be quite a reactive defensive side, which did feel a little bit negative. And yeah, I don't think the plan translated as well as he thought it did. Yeah, and you can see why people reacted the way they did because it's not really what you expect from a Norwich team in the championship. You expect them to like have the confidence to take on almost anyone and play our game and try and beat them using our game. To see us go away from home to a team who, don't get me wrong, good, but they're not one of the best teams in the league and just sit in and try and nick anything we can on the counter and then defend. I was quite disappointed with that. I think Watching it back uh, with the emotions removed, I thought we did defend better than how I initially reacted to it at the time. We were under a lot of pressure, so it's no surprise we can see it's a large volume of shots and like the XG numbers look pretty high. But I think when you actually look at the chances themselves, we weren't being cut open at will uh, up until maybe the last sort of five, ten minutes plus stoppage time. So from that point of view, it's, it wasn't quite as bad. But yeah, it's just in possession. It's nowhere near the level we expect from a Norwich team in the Championship. And uh, that's where a lot of the frustration comes from. 
And a lot of the frustration also comes from the game management and substitutions element because it's been a theme under Wagner and it's been something we've mentioned in quite a few games this season. I think there's a theme. He's not really learned anything from those previous times where he's made those subs and it's made us worse. And that feeling is like what's created that sort of animosity that we saw at the weekend because we know that we have to improve to be like up there competing with the top teams in the league. And we didn't really see a performance that suggests that we've learned anything. Yeah, I agree with most of that. Um, also, I think maybe the tone of this podcast has been a bit too downbeat um, because when I watched it um, in Coventry on Saturday, it did feel like a poor performance. And re-watching it, there probably was a bit more integrity in there from the players' performances and from the coach because I can kind of understand that he wants to have fresh legs in the side, which is why those four changes felt a little bit over the top and felt detrimental at first. But it is understandable. I think, again, maybe we talked about this at the beginning of the game, but I think he's underrating Yanulis if he thinks he can take him out for the team and put in McCallum. Because actually, I think so much of our good play, even though Yanulis is a bit deeper in the build-up, comes through him. So that was pretty disappointing. And yeah, for sure not coming on at all felt like a massive error from Wagner. But yeah, I, I don't think Coventry were particularly good either they made a lot of unforced errors in terms of their play so yeah we were quite lucky to catch them on an off day because as you said they're quite a good side with a with an interesting squad and Mark Robbins their coach is obviously a very good like championship manager having taken commentary to um to the playoff finals uh, last season but yeah so I think in that sense Wagner's a bit fortunate that they weren't a little bit better in terms of like the overall approach I guess it's understandable that you'd want to go and try and take a point away from home, um, especially after the 6-2 against Plymouth, which really could have damaged the whole season. Uh, and since then, they've picked up four points. They obviously got the, the win against Birmingham, the defeat to Swansea, and the, the point here. So maybe there's a bit of mitigating there in terms of he just wants them to be as solid and protective as possible. He did get two performances from Duffy and Gibson, which did resemble that a little bit. They really sort of bought into that idea of being as combative as possible in their own box. As we said, Gibson had a really good game. His numbers looked pretty good. It was just that one error that we remembered from this match. So I just really hope that doesn't deter him from the rest of the season. Uh, I think Duffy was perhaps even better. He was probably our, our best player on the pitch. And yeah, apart from those switches of play, which were a bit unnecessary and did hinder our possession. In terms of defensively and off the ball, he was he was absolutely superb. Yeah, I agree with you on the setup, because I thought they were probably our best two performers. And it's definitely the kind of performance where you'd expect them to be the best performers because there wasn't really that chance for the attacking players to uh, get that involved in the game. Obviously, with the numbers of touches they had, you wouldn't expect them to be like influencing the game that much with so little of the ball. It's just You can see there's a lot of talent in our team, in our squad, like the full-backs. We've got two centre-backs who uh, know how to defend. And, I mean, we know Gibson can pass the ball. Duffy, he's not as technically good as Gibson, but he does try and play the ball. We've got Sarah, who's one of the best midfielders in the league. We've got Rowe, who has been one of the best wingers in the league this season. And it just feels like the squad is far more potential than what we showed on Saturday. And I guess that causes a fair amount of the animosity in that people do think that we can do better than what we showed and questioning if Wagner's going to be able to do that. This is more a general point rather than on the game. But what I'd say is 
We're giving contracts to a lot of experienced players like Barnes, Fastnax, Duffy, etc. We've got one of the highest average age starting lineups in the league. These are players that you expect to perform every week because they've been there, they've done it, and they're players that we've brought in specifically to do that. They're players that Wagner himself has had a large part in bringing in as well. So it sort of feels like, well, if we can't go and really compete for promotion and be like shoe-ins for top six, then like, what's the point of bringing in all those experienced players and giving Wagner what he wants? From what I can see, the footballing strategy is very much win now. It's give Wagner what he wants, let him play the football he wants, give him players that can deliver sort of a, a guaranteed level now, not young players. So I can see why fans would then have that sort of animosity towards them if we start to slip down the league, because then you start to wonder, well, is there that opportunity cost of not bringing younger players and building something longer term if we're then spending money on these older players to just finish outside the playoffs, which, I mean, based on current performances, it's touch and go. I think if I was to explain like why people were so anti-Wagner after the last sort of month or so, that would definitely be up there as a reason. Great. James, thanks very much. And thank you for listening to and supporting Norwich City Tactics Podcast. Please subscribe to whichever platform you're listening to us on. Thank you.